We're mindful of those of you who are visiting with us today. And we always like to let you know that you have a special place in our hearts because you could have done anything this morning. There are plenty of churches in this city and certainly plenty of churches of Christ where you could have gone, but you chose to be here. We thank God for that for whatever the reason. But we also believe as well that since God has directed you here, there is something he has for you to hear. See, because he didn't allow you to go anywhere else, but the Spirit of God directed you here, there is something here that you are to get today. There is something for every one of you, individually, not just us as a collective group, but every person here, the Lord has a word for you today. Listen for your word. Whatever it is, it may not be somebody else's today, but the word may be yours. Don't miss it. Amen. Don't miss it today. We want to use Acts chapter 16 as the launching place for our message today. We've been talking about the book of Acts for a while now, both in our Sunday school and in our messages. I want to thank Brother Holcomb and Brother Gibson for standing in for me while I was absent I know they do a wonderful job because I've heard them both before and I know they're sound in the scriptures. And I know that they did a wonderful job because if I got back and they didn't, you'd have told me. Yeah. So I, I thank God for them and I don't take them for granted because it gives me a chance from time to time to get away. Uh, I've learned and I'm learning in my older life that I can't do everything. That God never intended for me to do everything. That my work is a very specific work. The elders' work is a very specific work. The deacons' work is a very specific work. The, the church at large, each one of us, has a specific work to do for the kingdom of God located right here at Roosevelt City. So I want to revisit something that I told you mm, four or five years ago. And it has to do with the conscience, but we're going to study that in the light of Acts chapter 16. I want to give you some, some foundational passages, just a couple that we're going to use this morning. The first of which is found in 1 Timothy chapter 4. And all of the passages that I'm going to mention to you in this opening have to do with the conscience which is very important in the greater schemes of things for Christians who are trying to live the Christian life. So if you would, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And this account, this account records instructions given by the Apostle Paul to the young man Timothy, who was his son, in the gospel. I really want to focus on verse 2, but we'll read through verse 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing or deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. 
For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified, it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. And then secondly, I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Beginning, uh, we read some of this this morning in our Sunday school. I'm going to recall those verses, but we really want to look at verse 21. 21. Okay, we'll start though with verse number 15. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a, a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Listen, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. I want to read verse 21 as well. There is also an antitype which now saves us, namely baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then finally, Romans chapter 2. Verses 14 and 15. Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. And in this account, Paul is addressing those who did not like to remember the Lord. Those who did not like following the Lord and didn't even want to talk about it. The Bible talks about the Gentiles in verse number 24. The scripture says, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. As it is written, for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a lawbreaker or a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. I want to uh, particularly look at verses 14 and 15 there rather than those that I just read. The scripture says, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things contained in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. Very powerful passages in the context of today's lesson because I want to talk with you a little while this morning about the conscience when it is in the off position. Our conscience can be in the on or off position. And I want to talk about the conscience in the light of the work of the Holy Spirit. Now I want to, I want to remind you of something. Since we've been studying the book of Acts, from Acts chapter 2, where the Lord's church began, and people were told what to do to become a member of the body, 
right through to this present chapter, baptism has been very prominent in all of these chapters. We find as the church was growing, baptism was a vital part and a requirement of what they did to become members of the body of Christ. Now, I want to suggest to you that the reason baptism is so important is because the only way we can get the Holy Spirit, the gift of God, is through baptism. There are many people praying for the Holy Spirit. You don't get the Holy Spirit by praying for it. The scripture says in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38 that those who were being saved that day submitted themselves to do several things. The first of which was to believe. They showed their belief in the gospel that Jesus Christ is indeed the son of God and the savior of the world by being cut to their hearts, the Bible says. Yeah. Nothing is going on down here. It's up here. They were cut to their hearts which means they believed what Peter preached to them on that day. And when they asked Peter, uh, men and brethren, what shall we do about what we've just heard that has cut us to our heart? The Bible says Peter answered and told each of them to be baptized, but to repent first. Repent, that is to change your mind about where you've been going. Establish a new right, a route, or a new direction. And then, not just repent after your belief, but be baptized. Well, why is it important to be baptized? Because according to Romans chapter 6, baptism represents the life of Christ. His suffering, we suffer. His death, we die. And his resurrection. So in Romans chapter 6, Paul says that just as Christ died and was resurrected from the dead, those of us who become his disciples become his disciples by primarily doing the same thing. We decide to die to the world and to be buried in the grave of baptism, to rise and walk in the newness of life. Now, when we are buried in that water, several things happen. Number one, our sins are forgiven. They come in contact with the blood of Jesus in this, in this pool. And the, 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 the great man Peter tells us that that baptism is for our salvation. He says it's not just the answer. It's not just washing off the filth of the body. But it is the answer of a good conscience toward God. So at the end of verse 38 in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says if we'll repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, that we will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We would receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So it's no coincidence that everybody who was added to the body of Christ was added through baptism so that they could receive a helper to help us to live this life. If we don't have the spirit with us, then we really have no help in living this life. The life of, Christian, of a Christian. And believe me, I've told you before, we alone do not have the power within ourselves to live the Christian life. We need help living the Christian life. 
And if you didn't need help, why would you baptize in the first place? If you think you could be saved by what you could do, why be here in the first place? You don't need the Lord. But we've all come to understand at some point in our lives that this thing is bigger than us. When you try to live for Christ by yourself, it's an uphill journey. Because everything we like, Christ teaches us against. Because we are fleshly. And the scriptures give us to believe in Romans chapter 8 that either we have the fleshly nature or we're living according to the spirit. It's one or the other. My flesh doesn't have the power to live the way the Lord wants me to live by itself. Because I found a law. Just as Paul did in Romans seven twenty one, that whenever I want to do good, evil is present with me. I thank God that in John 14, Jesus promised that since he was leaving, he says, I'm going to pray the Father that he will send you another comforter. Again, I say to you that Jesus was that comforter and that helper while he lived on earth for those who were there with him. But when he went back to the Father, that's what he told him in, in, in the 14th chapter of John, I'm going to pray the Father to send you another comforter. Because I'm going back to the Father. You need somebody here to comfort you, to teach you, to make you remember things that you've been taught. And Jesus called them the helper. The helper. And he says when he comes, when the Lord sends him, he's going to teach you and he's going to remind you of things that you've already learned from the word of God. Yeah. Now, now, I've laid that foundation. Now we can, we can whirlwind through the rest of the lesson. If you understood what I just said, then the rest of this is just justification to help us understand better the message today. Listen, every organization, Every religion, every home, every marriage, every church faces its most difficult trials in infancy. And it takes certain kinds of people to make it through those most difficult times. You must be a cut above to survive the first three years of any venture. Whether it's a marriage, those first three years are crucial because everything is coming at you. You're learning how to think not just for one now, but for two. The home, once you've established the home, those first three years are crucial. Once you become a member of the body of Christ, those first three years are crucial. Because everything you could possibly face comes during the infancy period. And therefore it takes special people to make things happen and to be patient through those years. I want you to understand that the church of our Lord is no exception to this rule. And it took a special kind of people to endure what the apostles and other Christians went through for the name of Jesus. Now, you know, as you read about Paul and Silas and Paul and Barnabas and Peter and John, they were ordinary people, but they were extraordinary, too. Yeah. It's hard to find a Paul today. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's hard to find a Barnabas today. It's hard to find folk who will, even in the midst of having to care about their lives, continue preaching the gospel. It takes a special kind of person to be thrown in jail for preaching the gospel. And then for the Lord to come and get them and they go right back and preach to the same folk who just threw them in jail. That's a special kind of person. And maybe that's why we look at each other strange when you hear sermons like this. Folks are like, well, I know about Paul and John and Barnabas and all them, but I ain't Paul. Folk will remind you in a heartbeat. I'm not Barnabas. I'm not Lydia. I'm me. And what we're saying when we say that is, don't you dare expect that level of commitment from me. See, because I, I, I like the Lord just like the next man, but I don't want to put myself in danger by preaching the word of God to somebody who doesn't want to hear it. Well, you're in that crucial period in your life. So I want you to understand that God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. And his will requires certain kind of people to carry it out. And in every generation, he has chosen those people. He has pulled them out of the world. He started with 12 men. And I want you to understand that those 12 he picked represent humanity across the board. Let me break that down. There were those who think they know more than others and are therefore smarter than the average person, Jesus chose them one or two of them. There are those who think they are better than others and that they ought to be exalted above the rest. He chose him a couple of those. Handpicked them. There are those who are quiet and obedient and just follow what the Lord told them to do. And he chose him a few of those. And then there are those who walk with you, but will deny you in crucial times. He had a couple of those. There are those who will walk with you and then sell you out for money because they envy you. He had one of those. There are those who are fraudulent and always look for a way to beat somebody out of something. He had one of those. And yet Jesus chose these folk and taught them to do what they did best, but for a different reason. In essence, Jesus picked these ordinary men and said to them, come with me and I'm going to show you how to use the tenacity and the diligence you have for doing ordinary things, even sinful things. I'm going to teach you how to do extraordinary things and righteous things. By using the strength that you already have. Even though you may have become good at doing wrong with the strength you have. I'm going to take that and convert it. I want the same tenacity, but I'm going to give you a different mission. Jesus said to Peter and John and James, I'm going to teach you how to fish for men now. And see, so our job is to fish it. We do the fishing and the spirit baits the hook. <laughs> the spirit of God puts the, the, the gospel on the hook. And we're the ones out who do the fishing. 
Now, let's get, let's get deeper into this. I want to talk just a minute about the conscience. Conscience is a strange thing. But the Bible talks about the conscience enough for us to, uh, uh, for us to understand that it's important. What we think about how we behave is important. And see, the conscience is the repository for all that we hold dear. The conscience is something that we develop from the time we're children. Through life, we're developing conscience. And every time we accept something that's important for us to believe in, it's, re it's deposited in the conscience. Okay? Every time we determine to accept a new way of life, it's deposited in the conscience. And this conscience exists in everybody. But it's somewhat different. Because one may have conscience about some things and not about others. The problem is the conscience will become accustomed to the position we have it in most often. Junk in, junk out. We may turn it on and off as we please. We may have conscience about giving and none about singing. We may have conscience about communing and none about studying. We may have conscience about worship and none about evangelizing. So we may have conscience that's on sometimes and off sometimes. It's the job of the spirit. I maintain to you today to help us to develop a new conscience. A conscience that is now concerned about doing the things of God. Now, here's what I want you to understand in that connection. The spirit, we're getting clearer and clearer directions about how the spirit works as we continue to study the book of Acts. The spirit is always very prominent in these, in these books. No matter what chapter we're studying, the, the spirit is always actively involved. And I've told you before, the father is in charge of everything. Everything will be done because of his will. No matter what we decide to do, God has made us, and as a result of that, he has a, a, a job, a mission, for each one of us. That plan that he has for us is carried out through the work of the Holy Spirit because it sets up guideposts for us based on what we have accepted and believed. The Holy Spirit carries out the will of God in our lives by urging and prompting and guiding and reminding us of what we've been taught from the word of God. It won't override us. He won't, rather, override us or force us to do anything. It will irritate us sometimes, though. And sometimes we've learned in Acts chapter 16, it will even block our efforts to do what we want to do. 
Sometimes the Spirit will frustrate us by reminding us of what we believe when we want to violate it. It will lead us away from some things and to other things. In essence, the Holy Spirit is like a governor on a truck. You ever had one of those trucks where no matter how, how hard you push the accelerator, it's only going to do 50. You can push it through the floor. It's only going to give you 50. You know what I'm saying? So the reality of how our conscience works is that every time we violate something that we have told our conscience and trained our conscience to respond to as something that is bad for us, it, it, it does just that. When we violate our conscience, it lets us know it. And he lets us know it by us feeling guilty. See, it, it, you're a scary person if you have no guilt about doing, doing wrong things. If you have no compassion about messing over people. Something is wrong with that. Okay, and, and we've determined because of what we have, how our, how our consciences have been developed, whether or not we're going to listen to the Spirit's guidance or not. But every time we violate it, it lets us know it's been violated. Is your conscience all right this morning? Are you sitting here in guilt because of something you've done? And you know, when, when, we, when we are tempted to, to do wrong, I, I've said to you before, uh, the Spirit always comes to our defense, see, because Jesus says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. But he's not with us bodily. He's with us through this comforter that the Lord has sent us. That is the job of the comforter, to teach us, to remind us, to guide us, to urge us, to prompt us, sometimes to block us. And that's what we find in Acts chapter 16. Sometimes even when we think we're doing what's best, the Spirit will guide us to do something else. Paul and Silas wanted to preach the word, but they said that the Spirit forbade them to go certain places. There were other places that they wanted to go because that's what they felt was all right. But the Spirit again blocked them. Now, we don't know how the Spirit blocked them. It may, have, it may have used Paul's illness. Since we know that Luke, the physician, joined him somewhere along the way, he may have called on Luke because he needed his professional services. Luke was a member of the body who traveled with him and who starts to write in this 16th chapter and include himself. But I want you to notice what happens in this 16th chapter. The work of the Spirit. It was the work of the Spirit that opened Lydia's heart. Opened her heart so that she could hear and understand the truth. It was the work of the Spirit that caused this spirit of demonation to be taken out of that young damsel. Who was who was, and you know some people may have questions about that. You know, this woman had a spirit of divination. In other words, she had a devilish spirit in her. And because of that, she could do some fortune telling. 
And the people in the city, the, 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 the uh, officials in the city, some of them had started to use this young woman to make them some money. Now, after Paul and Barnabas preached the word, she comes out and starts saying, these men are from God and they're preaching to you what the Lord would have you to know. And at a certain point, the Bible says Paul turned to her because he was irritated with her. Why would he be irritated with her for telling the truth? Because the truth is suspect when it comes from the mouth of the devil. You remember when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, the devil came at him and everything the devil said to him in essence was based on scripture. If you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread because the scriptures say that the Lord won't leave you destitute. He'll prepare for you. And Jesus says the scripture also says man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word, see, the spirit, the Bible says, led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Sometimes the spirit will forbid you to go somewhere, but wants you to go somewhere else. And it will put things in your way that will steer you. Have you ever experienced that? Where you want to go and do something and the spirit of the Lord kind of pushes you in your mind? That you don't need to do that. Have you ever had the spirit quote a scripture to you? Because that's the way it encourages us. It encourages us by reminding us of what we've been taught. Have you ever been fixing a lie in your mind? Have you ever been filling out your IRS form? And you consider in line? And the scripture comes to you from Ephesians 3, 9. Lie not one to another. Seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. Have you ever been looking at somebody lustfully? And remember through the Spirit's urging. What Jesus said to the disciples in Matthew chapter 5. That if a man looks on a woman. To lust after her. And Matthew chapter 19. He's already committed sin in his heart. I've told you before. If you want to memorize some passages. Memorize the ones that speak to your weaknesses. See because Acts 38. 238 is not going to work for everything we have to deal with. There's some things that we need to keep in our memory. So that indeed the Holy Spirit's work can be effective in my life. Don't frustrate the Spirit of God. For in doing so, we can't then be saved. Because we need the Spirit of God working in our lives in order to be saved. Now I want to conclude this morning because... I have a lot more to say, but it doesn't need to be said all this morning. When we, when we think of Judas, we think of a man who one would think had no conscience. Any man who could sell the Lord out for a little silver has no conscience. How can he have a conscience? 
I submit to you this morning that we are much more familiar with Judas than we think we are. There are a lot of folk who want, don't want to identify with Judas. But there are some in the body of Christ who sell him out for less than silver and gold. Who sell him out simply so they could be accepted in a particular peer group. Sell him out because they feel like he hasn't come through for them. But I want you to understand today that, that though Judas appeared to be in the inner circle of the apostles, he really operated on the fringes. No matter how much good, no matter how much caring he seemed to show and be, his conscience would eventually tell on him. And at the end of his debacle, the scriptures say to us that at least he had enough conscience to know that what he had done was wrong. And when he went back to those men who had paid him, he says, take this back, for I have betrayed innocent blood. Those men said to him what the devil normally says to you when you figure out you've been had. That's on you. We don't care what you do with the money. We've accomplished our purpose. You earned this money when you laid that kiss on his cheek. You've been paid in full. Whatever you want to do with it, do it. But the Bible says Judas went out and took his own life. That's because of the guilt that resides in conscience. Do you have a good conscience toward God this morning? Even as the spirit tries to invoke you based on what you've changed about your conscience. Has your conscience changed since you accepted Christ? The conscience you had before you accepted Christ won't let you live a Christian life with that same conscience. You have to change some things. Some rules change. The first of which is, who's in charge? Jesus says, you want to follow me? I got to be in charge. The first thing I want you to do is to deny yourself and then take up your cross and follow me. I wonder what it is about me that's so special that God chose me to be in his kingdom. I wonder the same thing about you. What's so, you ever look at people and in your heart of hearts, say, man, alive, how did they get in the church? They sure got some weird ways. And they think really weird. And they don't seem to fit in. They don't dress right. They don't talk right. They don't smell right. They ain't got enough education. They got too much education. They're from the wrong side of the tracks. They're from the right side of the tracks. They got money. They don't have any money. What is there about us as individuals that is so special that it caused God to open our hearts at some point so that we could hear and understand the truth and be a part of this magnificent organization called the Church of Christ? Whatever it is, it was God's desire. And just as sure as he's called you, he has a plan for your life. And sometimes if you find yourself off track, 
The Spirit can cause things to happen in your life that will take you in a different direction. When you hear it, yield to it. When it happens, don't be disobedient. Yield to it. Because any good that we do, because you know, Paul says in Romans 8, the carnal mind is the enemy of God. It's the spiritual mind that listens to God and that's wrapped up in our conscience. This repository of all that we hold dear, any good that we do is a result of the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts teaching us and reminding us. Don't you dare think you're doing anything by yourself. Paul says in Romans 7 when he was talking about his dilemmas, he said when I do that which is good is not me. It's Christ living in me. See, and that's what we have to understand. There is no good we do. So don't be surprised when you mess up. That's the nature of sinful man. Don't be surprised when you fall down. That's the nature of the flesh. But what the spirit will have you do when you fall down is get back up. The spirit doesn't tell you when you down, stay down. That's you. Possibly wanting pity. But when you are down, the spirit will direct you to get up every time. Jesus says, I'm standing at the door of your heart and I'm knocking and I'm begging you to come unto me. All that are labored and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. He'll help you straighten your conscience out. He'll help you to sleep a little better and a little easier at night. Because we don't have to be guilty anymore when we can learn to follow the beatings of the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Gave it to us as a gift. We didn't even have to ask him for it. The message is yours. If you can hear and you can repent, you can be baptized, you can receive a gift of the Holy Spirit too. Well, how do I get it, Brother Anthony? The Lord distributes it to each of us according to his will. But you can't get it without being baptized. You want to be baptized? You want the Spirit? You talk about wanting the Spirit. Some folks want it so bad, they're running for it. They're hiding for it. They're lying for it. Doing things that they don't have to do to get it. If you want the Spirit of God, believe, repent, confess His name, be baptized, and the gift is yours. I'll leave that with you as we together stand.